Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. That's That's right. That's right. What a fun day. What a fun day. It is Sunday. It is Sunday. That's a fun day. It sometimes. Well, it's a fun day whenever Classic Gaming Brothers come out. That's, that's, that's correct. For many people, at least here in the United States, tomorrow is also a holiday. That's right. So if you are located here in the United States, you probably have the day off tomorrow. That's pretty that's nice. Right. That's and right. you know what? If you forgot that you have the day off tomorrow, you're welcome. I just reminded you. That's right. Uh, you can have it off for a number of different reasons. I thought you were going to say you could have it off every day. <laughs> no, I don't have that authority to say you that. Fire everyone. <laughs> That they wouldn't have the day off if I fired them. They just wouldn't be employed. All right. Well, Seth, what have you been recently playing? Uh, so recently I've been playing a demo. A demo disc? No, perhaps it would have come on a disc if this was 1998, but it didn't. It came because Steam is doing their Next Fest, where they allow you to play demos of games. What I like about their Next Fest is that there are sometimes demos of games that don't generally have demos or aren't coming out anytime soon, or like, I don't know. I logged into their Next Fest today, and like, usually, you know, there's some games that I'm like, I'll check these out for like fun but today there was like a few on my wish list that i was like i'll just check this out and i was like oh wow i like these and i haven't played them until these demos which is kind of cool because sometimes i add games that i like play at packs or something but like these games i just like read the concept and i was like i think these games are pretty cool and i downloaded the demos and i actually really enjoyed them and one of them was the case of the golden idol by color gray games published by or will be published Published by Playstack. It is coming out October 13th of this year, 2022. And I think based on me playing the demo, I think it's not going to not miss that time. It's also soon. I played it before it being soon. Today's the 9th, so the 13th is four days from today. So on Thursday, you can download this game. It's October 13th, though. It's also like, you know, 13th, October. It's not Friday, though. So it is a demo. You could play the demo from now until the 13th, I assume. And it's free the demo is and i played it and i really recommend checking it out especially if you like detective games or if you're a fan of like the uh return to the abra din um by lucas pope it's kind of like that to talk about the game itself the case of the golden idol uh is a pixel art detective game where you're given a scene that's kind of frozen in time of someone's murder and you need to determine who everyone is in the scene and why and how was that person murdered and you do that all through the context of the clues that are hidden within the scene itself there's two modes you can have like a highlighted mode which is their recommended play style 
You can also have an unhighlighted mode if you like pixel hunting. Um, so if you like just clicking on random things without knowing what you're clicking on, you could do that mode, which some people do if they're like, if they're really into like games where you're trying to figure out like what in the room is part of the puzzle or whatever the, you know what I'm talking, the f hidden object games. If you like those games, then you could turn off the highlight. If you're like me and just want to enjoy life, you can keep the highlight on. What I really enjoyed about it was that it allows you to kind of think through and solve the puzzle at your own pace. There's no time limit. You can kind of really collect all the clues. It gives you a counter at the bottom to tell you if you got all the clues or not. And then you can kind of think about what the clues are. And then it has like this explore exploration view. And then you click over to thinking where it kind of has like a map lib that you have to fill in about how the murder happened. It'll have like photographs of everybody in the scene and you have to identify what their names are. And you'll have a, maybe another puzzle that's related to the scene. For like one example, I had to solve a poker stat like, and I need to identify who all the initials were for the poker scores. And that could help, you know, like identify if I know someone's particular score, I can probably back into what their name might be based on their initials. And I can kind of work my way back that way or find other clues. So throughout the game, I investigated a murder of a guy getting pushed off a cliff because the partner didn't want to like share the treasure with him. The death of a lord and who died by accident. And, and I won't say how the lord died just to, if in case anyone wants to check the game out. And a death in a tavern that was decidedly murder. And that one was really difficult because you had to identify everyone in the tavern. And there was three, four, five, six, seven, eight people, including the dead guy. It's a really cool game, really cool concept. It's the kind of game that like gets me to immediately click on the developer to see if they've created anything else for me to buy. So I'm really looking forward to the case of the Golden Idol. And will I'm I mean I'm gonna buy it. It's gonna be great. I'm gonna play it some more. Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Well, Seth, recently I I have been playing Open RCT2 or Open Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. Uh, this is a full open source remake of the first two Roller Coaster Tycoon games. Uh, you do have to own original copies of them. Um, so if you have like a GOG copy or Steam copy, the game will prompt you to select the installation folder on your computer, and that's where it pulls its assets from. But um, Open RCT2 is a really cool way to re-experience the Roller Coaster Tycoon games, in my opinion. Uh, first of all, the it's like proper resolutions looks beautiful on your on your high def monitor it also features a ton of new functions and bug fixes which are always nice and there's other tricks that you can do to uh, raise limits and stuff that was in the original game um, and now you can kind of really push the game to its limit some of the new features include functions like OpenGL hardware rendering additional hacks and cheats that weren't available in the original roller coaster tycoon 1 and 2 native support for linux and mac os multiplayer support performance improvements, and again, various bug fixes and such. There's also some fun additions, like there's the ability to have trains cross a pathway instead of having to build a tunnel or bridge around the train track or have the train track go around the pathway. And let me tell you, this sounds like a very simple thing. It is a game changer in park design. So you no longer have to build bridges to go over pathways if you're building like a train line. You don't need to build, you know, the path to go over the train line. Just go right over the path and it'll make cross tracks. Oh, that's fun. And the AI has been updated so guests will wait for the train to pass before they cross. 
That's not fun. I know. Uh, well, it is actually fun because if you have a... There's ways to break that. <laughs> oh, good. That's fun. Though. So if you, for example, have uh, three paths and a train going down the center, uh, the guests will not wait and they will just stand in the path of the train. <laughs> Sometimes Perfect. they'll get stuck. Perfect. That's how life should be. So yes, you can run down your guests with a train if you really want to. I've been replaying a lot of the old levels that I remember playing as a kid, such as Bumbling Beach and Dynamite Dunes and Forest Frontiers. And I've also been playing some of the levels that I never really tried as a kid because I only played the easy levels and I've been uh, cheating. One of the cool features is that there is a console command that you can enter. It's actually stylized in the same UI as like the other menu items. So it doesn't bring up like an ugly like command line or something, but you can enable various cheats that you would like. Some of these cheats are actually, they don't really break anything. So like one of the cheats you can enable is just no height restrictions. So you can build your roller coaster as high as you want it to go, which that's actually kind of fun. Another kind of a a little cheat that you can incorporate is putting chain lifts on any track piece, which sounds bizarre, but what this means is you could make a roller coaster like I did, where it starts off and it goes upward in a spiral and then it drops in a spiral. And not only is that a ride that a lot of people liked, but also it's a space saver because I didn't need to like build a whole area of just one ride. I could kind of just confine it to a little section. So there's other cheats, of course, like giving yourself as much money as you want locking in you know approval changing the various ai so that they're more happy or less nauseous or something like that also some small things like uh, disabling litter or disabling vandalism. So I, I would say if you want to play Roller Coaster Tycoon and you just want to enjoy yourself and not necessarily worry about the rules, give it a shot and enable some of these cheats. They're a lot of fun. And uh, it kind of gives you a new way to play Roller Coaster Tycoon, I think. You know, I love Roller Coaster Tycoon and I still think even with cheats, there's still some challenge to be had, including trying to keep your guests happy if you have like a million rides and they can't find where one bathroom is. How do you multiplay? Roller Coaster Tycoon. I need to figure that out because we got to do it. I want to do yeah. multiplayer Roller Coaster Tycoon so badly. Can one person just spend all the money? I hope so. What I want is for multiplayer Roller Coaster Tycoon to be uh, you design the rides and I buy them, or you buy them and I design the rides. That's lame. Uh, it is lame, but that's how we do this podcast. That's true. I think that there should be like the battle of the parks. Oh, yeah. That would be fun. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way it is. Like if. If just both people have the same park and you have to kind of, I think it's probably first. yeah one one or just like maybe both people can just do whatever they want in the same park. Ooh, and you have to like compete with. I, I have no, to find out. Chaos. I want to give people ideas. Yeah, we don't. We have no idea. We'll try to try it out someday in the future. Yeah, maybe we'll stream it. We haven't done that in a million maybe. years. Maybe that's an exciting stream to watch. Hey, that could be a like three a.m. extra life stream. <laughs> no, that's all we reserve for Phantom Menace. Uh, yes, true. Yeah, so that's Open Roller Coaster Tycoon mm. 2. Again, yeah. you can download it for free. You do need to have original copies of Roller Coaster Tycoon 1 and 2, though you can actually use like your original CDs, so you can find those, I'm sure, online. And uh, yeah, enjoy. It's a good time. Now, today we're... Oh, did you want to... I, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, we may have implied that today's episode might have been about something else in the last episode. So to be fair, last episode we said that we would be talking about Mass Effect soon. I don't think we said next episode. Oh, good. Soon's not today. 
And you know what? This episode is very much in theme with something you talked about recently. Because in our last Retro Rewind, you talked Um, about Master Chu and the Drunkard Hugh, which was developed by today's topic, Sachin. That's right. Now, many moons ago, we talked about Tenjin back in episode 132, uh, which was a company set up by Atari to produce NES games, initially as licensed, but then as unlicensed. We've also dived into the topic of bootlegs uh, back in episode 31. I would say kind of on a surface level, it's certainly more that we could get into. Who knows, maybe we'll do a Redux bootleg episode in the future. That's not a hint. That's just a idea right there. Now, today's topic is kind of a mixture of both. Uh, It's a company that primarily produced unlicensed game, but they also kind of, I would say, towed the line on what you would call copyright infringement. And that is Sachin, or Tin Chen Enterprise, which was founded in Taiwan sometime in 1988 uh, with the intention to develop and publish games for the Nintendo Famicom, and later the Nintendo Entertainment System. As these games were originally being developed for the Famicom, and largely to a market of clone Famicom consoles or Fami clones, they really didn't need to worry about the threat of a lockout chip like other companies did. So when companies like Color Dreams or Tengen were producing games for the NES, they had to deal with the lockout chip, which prevented unlicensed games from being played on NES hardware. However, in Taiwan, the, the Famicom and the Fami clones, the clone hardware at the time, was not subject to these restrictions. So really anyone could put out a, a Famicom game if they wanted to. Uh, Whether or not Nintendo would approve of it is a whole different story, but Sachin was out there producing games like this. Now, in 1989, they released their first game, Jovial Race, and it was released in Taiwan for the Famicom. This was a port of the arcade game Rally X and was developed by a software company under the name Joy Van. Joy Van originally started out as a separate company, though they did eventually merge with Sachin sometime after that same year. By that time, many original Joyvan staff uh, left to go to work at other companies, such as IdeaTech, who also made unlicensed Famicom games. <laughs> now, Joyvan really only existed as an independent company for about a year, from about 1988 to 1989, but is still notable as it was one of the earliest companies to be openly making unlicensed Famicom games, along with other companies out at the time like BitCorp, or NTDEC, whose full name was Nintendo Electronic Company. Uh, They were not Nintendo. They just called themselves Nintendo Electronic Company. Yeah, which is not Nintendo. <laughs> you know what? That's a that's a good way to get sued, which which is what NTDEC did. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Now, after Joyvan and Sachin's merger, future games developed by Joyvan would be branded with the Tinshin Enterprises name. Uh, some of their early games include Master Shu and the Drunken Who, which I played last episode, and it was bad. Silent Assault, which is a game very similar to Contra, but not in a, like, lawsuit kind of similar. Just similar in, in like, the elements. <laughs> Little Red Hood. This was actually covered by AVGN at one point in time. And I'm guessing since it was covered by AVGN, it's not a good game. And Challenge of the Dragon, which appears to be one of the last games before the merger as Joyvan's logo is still actually found in the credits. Sachin produced a good chunk of puzzle games and gambling titles as well. A good number of their early games were also either adult only or pornographic like a rock paper scissors simulator called honey peach or a slot machine simulator 
called Bingo 75. Many of the games were also developed by a programmer known as L.C. Tchaikovsky, or actually by the name Lee Chang Ma. Lee Chang Ma was L.C. Tchaikovsky. Yeah, it's an alias. So... In the in like the world of like unlicensed Famicom games at this time, a lot of programmers used aliases. That was just kind of a a, a common place. Um, and actually, in in gaming in general, I mean, if you look at some of the early games by uh, Sega, I believe some of them used aliases as well when um, you had programmers listed. Yeah. Is it to more like Romanize or Westernize? Yeah, names? some of it was to Romanize. Some of it was just they like to put in their nicknames. Some of oh, them yeah. were just jokes. Like they would put in fake names that sounded funny because they thought it was funny. Anyway, Li Chang Ma or Tchaikovsky not only would program most of the games by Sachin, but also wrote the music and would develop the sound effects. And that's probably why. I'm sure that Li Chang Ma was probably a very competent person. But when you have somebody doing the programming, the music, and the sound effects, they're gonna get a little stretched (laughs) not all of sachin's games were simply just original unlicensed products uh however they had a few titles that were bordering the copyright laws of some really famous ips this is includes uh, a game called street heroes street heroes was a fighter which was similar to street fighter except you were heroes instead of fighters. There was Jurassic Boy, which was a Sonic clone where you played as a dinosaur instead of a hedgehog. And Thunder Blast Man, better known as its alternative, Rockman X, stylized without the K in rock. Yeah, rock spelled R-O-C, man, X, as opposed to Rockman X, the Super Nintendo game. Now, at some point in the 1990s, developers at Sachin would either sell their games to other companies or outright quit Sachin to join other companies. Some of these other companies being uh, JY or Hasenken. JY was largely associated with another company, Hummer Team, who we talked about in our bootlegs episode. They're best known for producing games like Somari. And Hasenken was uh, a company that produced a lot of bootleg titles. Um, They did a actually pretty decent NES port of Donkey Kong Land, which was originally for the Game Boy. Satchin games are not exclusive to Taiwan. Not at all. Uh, A good many of their games were released in America and Europe by European and American publishers. Uh, This includes games released by American Video Entertainment and Color Dreams in the United States and home entertainment suppliers in Australia. Now, by the mid-1990s, Sachin began rebundling many of their Famicom games as multi-carts, and they did this as part of a super cartridge series of releases. These cartridges uh, range in quality, I would say. I've seen some photos of some of the cartridges. Some have artwork on them. Some just have text in like a uh, sans serif font that just says like the four game titles that's it no color <laughs> i think at some point Sachin was just like let's just get these out the door they, these gotta go as the famicom era began to slow down and the game boy became more popular Sachin turned some of their attention to producing titles for this handheld market but not only did they release game boy games they also dabbled in the world of Game Boy competition. Uh, one of their most notable ventures was developing games for the Megaduck and the Watara Supervision. We promised Barry that we would talk about the Megaduck with him, but for the purpose of this episode, it's good to note that nearly all Megaduck games were developed by Sachin, sometimes under a different name called Common. Uh, so it was either Common or Sachin. One of the best names for a game in the entire world is on the Megaduck, and it is a Sachin game, and that is 
Snake Roy. Look up the cover art for Snake Roy when you have a time. It's hilarious. The Watara supervision is very similar to the Mega Duck and was also a competitor to the Game Boy. The system was released in 1992 and retailed for about $49.95 or almost about 100 bucks in today's money. Sachin's contribution included some games like Pyramid, which was also released on the Famicom and the NES, and other titles like Kung Fu Street and Super Kong. In the late 1990s, some of these games from the Mega Duck would get ported over to the Game Boy and released on multi-carts, such as Snake Roy. By the early 2000s, Sachin officially launched their website, which can be viewed on archive.org's Wayback Machine. This website was primarily set up to sell some Game Boy Color games that they released in various clone consoles that they had developed. The website was also a way to officially order Sachin games from the NES, which some collectors would do in order to can complete their collection now the releases from sachin for the nes during this time are i would say based on what i have seen in photos descriptions and in videos low quality in terms of their like physical production uh these boxes are all very cheap looking um some of them being just plain boxes with like a printed on label the labels for the games themselves literally look like they were printed off of like a printer at like costco like i don't know it's like it, it they look like that they went to staples and printed off the labels and and slapped them on these cartridges thunder blast man for example it's cartridge during this time period when they released it, it just literally has its text on it and nothing else it just says thunder blast man no other no, no images and this is nowhere near as fun as the original artwork which was stolen from Mega Man X. So, honestly, it, they're cool to have, they just don't look good. Now, Sachin's final releases would be made between 1999 and 2002. Final, I should say, of new games. You could buy games off their website, but these would be the final actual new titles. Uh and all these were just ports of NES games to the Game Boy Color. In 2007, Sachin officially closed their doors and ceased activities. Uh Sachin's legacy is something. From a game from perspective, their mark was mostly felt in the Taiwanese and Chinese markets. Uh, as we mentioned, some Sachin developers either pitched the games to other companies or outright quit to work at other companies. Some of these developers included people like Ihao Yang, who would later work on a Famicom port of the Sega Genesis game, Mickey Mania, to the Famicom, called Mickey Mania 7. He was also involved in the Famicom port of the game Toy Story. Another developer, Wei Guang Yang, would work on a Famicom game called Bao Jing Tian or Justice Pao, which is an original game based on a Chinese television series of the same name. Some of the games by these developers would also go on to be published by a company called JY, who were closely tied to the Hummer team. Now, some assets associated with Sachin developers have also cropped up in various games developed by a company known as Makinsoft, who released, I would say, some really garbage titles for the game. Boy Color. Uh, not licensed titles, but they're bad. Outside of game development, though, Sachet is often remembered by collectors uh, familiar with the Famicom and NES for producing titles that were dubious quality. A few of their games, Master Chew and the Drunkard Hue, Little Red Hood, both were featured on AVGN episodes. And, and I would say, despite the fact that, let's put it out of the, let's, let's just say this first. The AVGN is a character. James Rolfe is not a reviewer. He's not a, he's not a critic. He, he's an actor. 
playing a character that he made up called the AVGN. And he admits himself that he overemphasizes how bad some of these games were. Some of the games he played are actually decent games. He just plays them badly or reacts to them as someone might do. Master Chew and the Drunkard Hue and Little Red Hood are very bad games. (laughs) Like, they're they're just not good games. I'm pretty sure Little Red Hood is unfinished. Like, I'm pretty sure it's not a completed game. So I I think not only the fact that they were featured in AVGN episodes, but also the fact that they are just bad games really, I think, puts not just them, but the company as a whole in kind of a really damning spotlight, if you would. Now, as Sachin games would often be released by companies like Color Dreams and uh, American Video Entertainment, they often got associated with some of the poor quality titles of Color Dreams and American Video Entertainment. When we had Barry on, um, I don't know if this made it in the episode, but we talked about how people often associate LJN with bad video games. And that's because LJN published bad video games. They didn't develop bad video games. Color Dreams is pretty much the same. Color Dreams published bad video games. They didn't always just make them. They made some but they published most of them. So yes, some of Sachin's games got caught up in the Color Dreams mix. So often when you see a Color Dreams game, you just automatically associate it with being most likely poor quality. However, Sachin, they definitely were making bad games. <laughs> some of them, yes. Some of yeah. them, yes. I-, I will say some of their games, I think, uh, hold up. Pyramid, for example, is a pretty decent puzzle game. It has its flaws, but at the same time, what game doesn't have its flaws from that era? That's what I always say. I think Sachin gets a bad rep, and I think some of their other more puzzly titles just tend to play better than their, like, action titles. I think that's where they really just did not do well, was action titles. Um, their puzzle titles, I mean, it's fairly hard to mess up a puzzle title. Now, according to a book called Family Bits, which is a, I would say, amazing resource for anyone interested in unlicensed games, uh, you can purchase it off of Amazon. It's a hardcover book. It's pretty hefty. It feels like a textbook. But according to this book, there is some, potentially there was some controversy in the NES fandom scene uh, a bit after Sachin closed their doors. And it's that there were a good amount of people who just did not want to acknowledge Sachin games. People in the forums and such would often argue about whether or not Sachin games should be included in lists of like every NES game. So if you included a list of every single NES game, do you include Sachin games? That's where this debate sprung up. And it's also interesting, I think, that Sachin games very rarely make most rare games. So when you see lists of, like, the rarest games for the NES, usually it's games that people are familiar with, usually it's games that are licensed. It's very rarely unlicensed games, it's almost never games like uh, Sachin games. Uh, There are a few Sachin games that literally only a handful of them exist in the world. There's also a few Sachin games where it's hundreds of type like releases so i would say satchin games are probably some of the rarest nes games out there but you're not going to see them on those lists because they're a not all of them are good b people don't really know if they count so <laughs> that's satchin for you satchin is weird company but uh hey we're a weird podcast that's right notice we didn't go over sales though so quick note on sales as a, as a disclaimer, I'm part of the Bootleg Video Game Discord, which is hosted by members of the Bootleg Game community, which is a, uh, a uh, there's a wiki and they have a forum. And it's people that are interested in bootleg games like myself, interested in collecting, interested in their history. I made a post a few 
weeks ago before this episode got written and i asked uh does anyone know uh anything about the sales numbers of Sachin games and i pretty much just got laughed at <laughs> it's just that information is hard to find it's it's Sachin is an unlicensed video game company from taiwan so they weren't filing like sec filings and stuff that most american companies have to do and they shuttered in 2007 and it's possible a lot of those records just were never released or they were destroyed the closest we can get is we might be able to find color dreams records after a lot of digging but color dreams was also a private company where all the assets went to one person i'm pretty sure and i think that one person might be dead this is it if you want to contribute a dollar to the classic gaming brothers fund if we raise enough money zach and i will go to taiwan and we will find satchin sales figures that's this is what's going to start our patreon or at least our ko-fi in order to get to find if we raise a fund to go to taiwan and find satchin sales records wherever they are i'll dig I'll dig through. We'll I'll, dig. We'll, we'll I'll go, go to, to some abandoned... copyright office and some yeah. like like tax office. I'll just dig through their records. Yep. And we won't we won't learn any of the language. Yeah, we'll just barge <laughs> in. We'll barge in with our receipt from Ko-Fi being like, we have to do it for the fans. Anyway, that's gonna be our Sachin episode. What an episode. Just like Sachin, a little it. dirty. <laughs> just a little dirty and maybe a little lame. Um, so we're gonna get on to our retro rewind section. Retro rewind section. And I'm gonna go first. Okay. Zach had me playing Pack in Time, which was released back in 1995 for the SNES and also for MS DOS. It was uh, developed by Callisto and published by Namco, and it features uh, Pac-Man, as the name implies, is the main character. Now the game is actually just in an entire rebrand of the game Fury of Furries, which is a game that Callisto also made, but they released that game in 1993. So what they did was when Namco said, we want you to make a Pac-Man game, they took their Furry of Furries games and put Pac-Man skin on it and then said, this is done. The game actually has uh, five different stages, kind of like different worlds that have their own theme and each of those worlds have 10 levels each. Uh, The game involves using power-ups that are similar to the ones that you would get in Fury of Furries. You get a rope. There is a blasting power that is a like fireball. I feel like it's more like a Pac-Man gun because that's cool. And there's a bubble power that allows you to swim and you can shoot bubbles and a hammer where you can hammer things, including the floors to be able to get you to a lower level. Uh, each level, you have to collect dots, just like in Pac-Man. You have a set number, I think uh, it's 30 dots that you have to find in every level. And the part that I enjoyed was it's not timed. So you can just take your time trying to find these dots. And it's a puzzle platformer. So sometimes finding the dots can be complicated. And... The rope is probably the most used power-up that you're going to use. The rope is also finicky. It's like a grappling hook. It's like almost like Just Cause, except if Just Cause was a 2D platformer and the main character was Pac-Man. Uh... <laughs> so it's a little finicky so it could be fun it could also be horrible depending on whether or not you can get the rope to work 
if you get the rope to work well and you like the timing right, then it's going to be fun. If not, good luck. Overall, I think if you enjoy Pac-Man and you want to play a different spin on the, a game that is a platform puzzler, you can check out Pac-In Time. It's, I think it holds up pretty well. I think it's a, a pretty good game. So for next week, uh, Zach, I want you to play Manic Miner on the ZX Spectrum or also known as the ZX Spectrum. Well, for my retro rewind, Seth wanted me to play SimCity 2000, but for the Sega Saturn. I have bad news, Seth. I couldn't get it to work. I tried. I uh, loaded SimCity 2000, Sega Saturn. I loaded the files into my RG 353P. I booted it, and it ran like a PowerPoint presentation, uh, which was unenjoyable, so I closed it. I, I then loaded up a Sega Saturn emulator on my computer, and I tried launching it there. Uh, it just didn't launch. Like, I didn't get a menu screen. I didn't get nothing. Just didn't load. I could try again sometime, and I probably will, because at this point, I'm like, I, I, want, it, I want it to work. But I wasn't able to get it to work, so I played SimCity 2000 for the PC. <laughs> Wow. Because I knew that would work, and I have a copy of it. I like SimCity 2000. I think it's a fun game. I think it holds up. I like building cities, and I'm terrible at managing them. I will lay a lot of roads, and I will start building up my city, and then I'll check to see what people have been saying about my city, and the guy who's in charge of transit will complain that we have too many roads and they cost too much money. So I will demolish like 90% of my roads and then he'll be happy. But then I only have like one road and my city looks like a, a street. But you know, that's kind of the nature of things, isn't it? Anyway, uh, my hint for you if you ever play SimCity 2000 is check the hints because the hints will tell you what to do. Uh, they'll be like, hey, there's not enough firemen in the city. And you're like, oh, I forgot to build a firehouse. <laughs> my hint is keep your industrial area away from your residential area. Because the one thing people don't want to live next to is a factory. Except, and this is the hint that I use for all city building games, except for the workers. They need to live next to the factories. You can suppress them so they don't get out of poverty and they always have to work at the factory. Now next week, Seth, I want you to play Spider-Man for either the PS1 or the N64. I don't really have a preference. They're like nearly identical games. I think the PS1 has a full motion video that like animated full motion video. Uh, whereas the N64, I think all the cutscenes are done in like comic book style. I think they're mostly identical though. So pick the one you want to play, whichever one works best for you. Play that one. I am kind of sad why at this moment because i've actually played the n64 spider-man already i'm not sad no i'll play it again and i'll talk about it or you can play the ps1 one and compare it i could maybe i'll do that i just know that uh ultimately something from my childhood is in retro rewind i mean some of the things from my childhood i, I mean like i guess all around. of our things are in childhood anyway anyway well that will do it for today's episode uh thank you everyone for joining us today and remember if you have any questions comments or concerns you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com if you have an idea for an episode let us know we almost always will use your idea for a future episode and you'll get credited we'll say this idea was brought to you by person's name uh you can reach out to us via our facebook instagram twitch or twitter our facebook instagram and twitch are classic gaming brothers our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. Uh, be sure to check us out on all the various podcasting networks and such. Also, just to let everyone know, Extra Life is coming up. At this moment, Seth and I are planning to do something for Extra Life. If that changes, right. we'll let you know. But yeah, at this moment, Seth and I are planning to do something for Extra Life. So be on the lookout for more of that. Maybe post a schedule or something. Uh, for those of you who might not remember, Extra Life is a charity. Seth and I have done a 24-hour live stream in the past as part of the Classic Gaming Brothers. We raised some money for Boston's Children's 
Children's Hospital. That being said, I think that's everything. Seth, do you have anything you would like to contribute to this conversation? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the classic gaming brothers. That's right. right.